Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Dynamic Dialogue Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about 10 of the biggest mistakes I have made in my own training career. Now, not my coaching career, my career training my own body. This is a podcast I've wanted to do for quite some time because I think it's very, very important that you guys hear from the mistakes I have made as a lifter. I'll probably do another podcast talking about the mistakes I've made as a coach, but these are the lessons I've learned the hard way, the lessons I've been able to share with clients to save them these hardships, and being open, honest, and transparent as 2019 buzzwordy as that might sound is a really valuable way for you guys to learn from my mistakes and to give you guys a little bit of a boost. Now, regardless of where you're at in your training, right? Maybe you're a fitness enthusiast, maybe you're a bodybuilder, maybe you're a powerlifter. We might not have a lot of things in common. However, these mistakes are relatively universal, and I think that they'll have a lot of applicability to help you guys with whatever it is you want to accomplish with your fitness. So, Buckle up, stay tuned. I'm going to explain what the mistakes were, what I've learned from them, and why they hold not just myself, but other people back. So mistake number one, plain and simple, was not hiring a coach early on in my training career. Now, when I started lifting, I was younger uh, in high school. I was like 17, and my parents kind of just let me go to the gym because they didn't really care too much what I was up to. Uh, and it was a way for me to get out of the house. So, you know, I was kind of on my own in the gym doing whatever the hell I stumbled across uh, on the internet. And back when I started lifting, these were in the days of bodybuilding.com. So if you had any questions, you just went to the, you know, the library that was bodybuilding.com. They had everything there from articles or even the forum. And of course, those were just loaded with all the supplements you take, which we'll talk more about in a minute. But, you know, I was playing the guessing game a lot. And fortunately, having an athletic background and being able to lift with coaches for sports, I had some experience. But when I was at the gym, I was entirely on my own. And when I worked out for sports, the goal was to just, you know, get a little stronger, uh, you know, lift with the team. It's part of the team building experience. It's kind of just part of how things go. You show up and, and if you don't, you get in trouble. But when I started going to the gym in between seasons or during summer, you know, my main goal was to get a little bit bigger so I could attract the ladies. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of those habits that I built early on in my training career that were kind of ingrained simply by going to the gym a lot were not habits that I would recommend to anybody. So, for example, my first year of lifting, I hit bench press every single day for the full first year of my training career. Here's, here's a funny story about that. This is where your head goes when, again, you're not working with a professional and you're just kind of trying to do things your own way. Um, I remember like I wanted a 225 bench so bad and it was so tough that one of the things I actually ended up doing was going into the gym and just throwing 225 on the bar cold and trying to slam that out. And my thought process was, well, if I can't hit 225 when I work up to it, I bet I can hit it when I'm fresh. And I got absolutely buried by it and messed up my shoulder for a good week. But when you're 17, you can recover from basically anything. But had I just simply asked my parents, hey, is it 
possible for me to maybe get a personal trainer, have somebody show me the ropes or save me a full year or two of training like a dumbass. Oh my God, I would have gone back and done that instead of asking for whatever the heck I was asking for when I was 17 years old. So not hiring a coach and not working with a professional, particularly in person in this instance, was a a big mistake. Uh, And even later in my training career, after I kind of got the handle of how to train like, you know, not an idiot. So unfortunately, I spent the larger part of the first year of my training kind of figuring out the ropes of what did and didn't work for my body through pure trial and error. And then gradually, I became more and more educated. I got certified through NASM at 18 and started working in big box health clubs and training other people which probably would have been the best time to start working with a coach in maybe a virtual environment. So I could have lived in that structure of, hey, I really got the basics, nuts and bolts and how to lift, but I get in my own way. That was a problem that happened a lot earlier was I would just get in my own way a lot. I would do the things I like to do, but not the things I needed to do. So the biggest mistake I would say in my training was probably a reflection of my immaturity given that I was so young. I started quite young. And while I can't go back, um, I would definitely say getting out of my own way, working with somebody would have been money well spent. It would have been time well spent. But these are the lessons that you learn. And it's one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about becoming a coach. Because even though I was 17 when I started and a client of mine might be 37 or 77 when they started, having somebody there to support you and educate you is unbelievably effective at eliminating years of trial and error, like years. I would have loved to have had those years back to have not been training like an idiot. So number two, focusing too much on supplements. Now, I alluded to this earlier, but like I said, anybody who was weightlifting in and around 2000 and let's say 10 to around 2015 certainly fell victim to the predatory supplement industry, particularly on bodybuilding.com. And while bodybuilding.com is not a bad company and supplements are not a bad thing, that was the place to go for recreational lifters. You got your programs on bodybuilding.com. You got your advice answered in the forums, which were cluttered with people who were selling the supplements anyway. And you had to get the subs. I remember going and checking every day to see if something new was on the top 50, which is so silly because I think very differently now as a professional. And now that I know a little bit more about how the body works and how the supplement space seems to kind of run, it's a little bit shady. We won't dive too much into that, but there's better ways to spend your time and money than simply looking into what supplement you should take next. Knowing what I know now, I would have prioritized more of that time around my nutrition and making better choices there and spending the money I was spending on supplements to buy higher quality food. I probably would have still taken pre-workout or creatine, maybe some vitamins and even fish oil, but when I really break it down, that would have been money better spent, like I said, on perhaps working with a coach or just fine-tuning some of the nuances in my nutrition. The third mistake I made, and this is one a lot of new lifters make, is I used to train like six, seven days a week. Because when you're a kid, there's very, 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 very little stressors impeding your recovery. Granted, I did have a very stressful high school experience, but that's for reasons I won't dive into. What really does matter is I had the time to go to the gym seven days a week, and I usually did, six to seven. And what I didn't realize then was that you only make the gains that you can recover from. 
So unfortunately, I was in the trap of thinking more is better. And again, this was bred out of conventional bodybuilding culture that you need to go hard as hell, balls to the wall. But I wasn't working with my physiology. I was limiting my ability to progress. And I was actually burning out very early into my training career, which is super unfortunate when you consider that at 17, 18 years old, you want to be establishing a foundation for something to do for the rest of your life. And instead, I was burning myself out. Thankfully, I have a much healthier relationship with training now. But these are mistakes that I made and that a lot of people have made, and even a lot of people who know they shouldn't do it still do it. Because we become neurotic, we are creatures of habit, and we double down on behaviors that are ingrained. And unfortunately, a lot of us have a pretty negative complex around going to the gym and more being better, when unfortunately our workouts are lacking and we're just going through the motions because it's just part of a routine and I just have to go and tomorrow I'll turn it around, and that's not going to cut it. I run into this a lot with clients. I can't tell you how many people apply for coaching. And unfortunately, in those applications, these are people telling me they're already going to the gym six, seven days a week. And that kind of raises the question, okay, if you have fitness goals and you can't get them training six to seven times a week, you're either burnt out and training, I hate to use the word, like a complete wussy. Let's say you were training like a wussy because you're burnt out. Or and this is much rarer, you're training really hard six to seven days a week, but the frequency of those hard training bouts don't allow for adequate recovery. Now, it's startling to me how common this is because you would expect the number of, you would expect with the number of people who tell me this, that these people wouldn't need a coach. They would have achieved their goals. They're going six days a week to the gym. You know, where do you go from there, right? So it comes down to more not always being better and understanding that going to the gym six to seven days a week because it's a habit might not be aligned with your goals. And so spend some time thinking right now, if that's you, Hmm. If I were to drop that down to four to five days a week, what could I do with those two other hours? Maybe you go to the gym and you work on your mobility. Maybe you go to the gym and you work on some stability. Maybe you shoot some hoops. Maybe you do something that keeps that routine going, but maybe it promotes recovery. Okay. Maybe it doesn't work directly towards your goal, but it supports it indirectly. And I think that's a really powerful way to shift your thinking so that you don't have to have this massive internal dialogue while you work your way down from what might be a space of simply too much training to a space that's probably a little more aligned with recovery. Number four, not performing quality reps. Now, this isn't to say there are good reps and bad reps and you can only make gains if you do good reps. What it is to say is that, again, going back to number one, I didn't have that foundational relationship with a coach who taught me the importance of certain technique nuances, when to go fast, when to go slow, and how to control each portion of the rep, right? So this is across an entire exercise library. I didn't have fundamental cueing, understanding of positioning, understanding of tempo, even doing something like an ASM. It's one thing to learn it. It's another thing to apply it. And so that was something that I made a lot of mistakes on. I just didn't have a very good mind-muscle connection. I did exercises early in my training career, primarily based on what I found on YouTube videos, right? Or just seeing what other people were doing in the gym and trying to emulate what they did, which is more than enough to build some bad habits. So, that takes time to undo. My advice now 
is to simply control every part of the range of motion on all of the exercises that you do. And it's usually better to opt to go slower than it is to go faster. On certain exercises with certain goals, you might focus more on explosiveness, particularly in the concentric or shortening portion of the rep. But for most lifters, it's never going to be a problem to slow things down a little bit and focus on technique. You can apply tension to tissues or muscles that you want a little bit better when you're able to focus on exactly what it is you're trying to contract. In slowing down, getting things in the right position, and thinking of repetitions more as a function of trying to stress a muscle or do something properly from a technique standpoint, simply than just counting numbers or checking boxes, is a really powerful way to get more work out of the same amount of volume. And you'll probably find that you'll be better off doing it that way than you will just going in and hitting an arbitrary number of reps. So we've covered the importance of higher quality repetitions or better quality repetitions being better for results, which is kind of a duh type of thing, right? If every rep is done with a higher quality and with the intent of the exercise in mind, whether that's a power exercise done with speed, a hypertrophy exercise done with control and high amounts of tension, a strength exercise done with heavy loading, it's going to be better. Duh. The next one is not performing enough hard, quote unquote, hard sets. Somebody who I really look up to in the space, Greg Knuckles, uh, is the first person who I heard this idea of hard sets from. And essentially what this idea is, is sets that are done closer to failure with good intention that are of high quality and consist of high quality reps are going to be better than sets that are not, and that you should be focusing on getting more hard sets or quality sets than just sets and reps. And so again, four and five are very much tied together. But I think additionally, when you talk about hard sets, this is where it would be helpful to have an in-person coach or a really qualified training partner, somebody that you trust, to push you to get a couple more out of the set, couple more reps, maybe to coach you on cues and nuances you might be sleeping, quote unquote, on, or call you on your quote unquote shit if you are slacking. And these are mistakes that you probably would not know you were making until it's too late. And again, these are things I've done myself. I'm speaking from experience as somebody who's been lifting for quite some time and also somebody who's trained hundreds of people from all different walks of life. And I see it all the time. Like These don't make you a bad person. These are genuine things that pop up when we are left to our own devices. Humans tend to fall back onto certain habits when left to their own devices. So just understand the importance of stringing together quality reps in the name of having good-looking sets that you would be impressed if you were showing them off to your favorite influencer, strength coach, or whoever. Think about that. That's a tip I have for you. Pretend the person who you most look up to in the fitness space, whether it's a coach, whether it's a trainer, an influencer, hopefully it's not an influencer. Anyway, pretend that they are watching your set from across the gym and you want to impress them. So make your sets visibly impressive by paying attention to detail, pushing hard, and doing things correctly. The amount that will impact your training is exponentially greater than just pounding away with crap volume or just adding weight. Start there first. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. 
And if you're finding value, it would mean the world to me if you would share it on your social media. Simply screenshot whatever platform you're listening to and share the episode to your Instagram story or share it to Facebook. But be sure to tag me so I can say thanks and we can chat it up about what you liked and how I can continue to improve. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. All right, so number six is being afraid to quote unquote bulk. And I don't mean this in the colloquial sense that is associated with the bodybuilding community. I more mean it in the sense of being afraid to gain a little bit of body fat in the name of performance. So for most individuals, in most cases, being just absolutely shredded and lean is not the ideal environment for long-term performance and longevity. There are trade-offs with our physiques. Preferably, if your goal is to build strength and muscle, you'll be in a minor calorie surplus. doesn't have to be huge. You don't have to go dirty bulk. You don't have to be fat. You don't even have to be a freaking bodybuilder. If I was training off-season professional football players, I would want them to be in some degree of calorie surplus while we're doing heavy right? Work on the field and work in the weight room. I need these people to have fuel for performance. It's no different if you're a power lifter, a bodybuilder, or somebody, uh, even a female whose goal is to build a little bit of muscle. Don't be afraid to eat. Granted, you'll earn your calories, right? That's a phrase I really like. Earn your keep, earn your calories. If you're training hard, you should be eating hard and at least eating good stuff. Eat like an adult. One of my favorite strength coaches is named Dan John. And I'm going to butcher the quote, but it essentially goes like, stop thinking that you can get the results you want eating sugary cereal and eating like a kid. If you want big boy results, you got to have a big boy diet. And the same thing goes for big girls or anybody who wants to make progress. You got to eat pretty high quality food most of the time in the right amounts. You can break that down to the macros, but it's all part of this lifestyle that's based on, hey, if I'm trying to pour from an empty cup, I'm not going to get very far. And so train as hard as you want, right? But if your nutrition isn't going to match it and you don't have the fuel to fuel improved performance or improvement in your training, you're not going to get very far. So don't be afraid to eat a little bit more in the name of performance and recovery. All right. So again, just want to reiterate the point. This podcast isn't a place to me to preach to you from my soapbox. Okay. I'm telling you things that I have done myself and that I think tend to be quite common. If these were fringe or super unique, I wouldn't share them. And I know that each one of these has affected multiple people I've worked with. So if you're hearing this and you're like, man, that's me, do not get discouraged, okay? Just listen, sit back, and think to yourself, hmm, what's the best course of action for me to correct this behavior if it's not aligned with my long-term results? Not picking on you. You're not a bad person. It's just the way it is. So I would imagine at this point, you've probably hit on a few of these because these are mostly training related. But the next one is actually related to nutrition. And it's not tracking my nutrition. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to track macros, but I think that having some way of quantifying about how many grams of protein, carbohydrates, and fats you're getting across a day, the same thing can be said for calories, is really important for athletes or fitness enthusiasts of all types. If you're going to be expending energy and putting energy out, you need to know about how much is coming in. It would kind of like it being if you worked in a factory. And Let's say your body is the assembly line, right? And your brain kind of manages this assembly line. 
and you're getting all these orders placed, and these orders represent the work that needs to be done, right? So every time you get an order, the assembly line is going to try to meet the demands of that order. So every time you have a physical task, your body's going to try to meet it. It's your brain's job as the manager of this assembly line to make sure that you have enough parts to put together the things to fill the jobs that have been asked of you. So if you're doing tasks and your assembly line is trying to fulfill those tasks, but you don't have enough raw materials, that's the food, you're going to run into trouble. And so it's your brain's job or your job as the manager of that assembly line to at least make sure you have enough raw materials to get the job done. And so that's one thing a lot of people don't do is they simply don't take nutrition into account at all. Now, if your goal is to lose body fat, this is particularly problematic. And this is where tracking your calories in particularly is uh, very, very important because that's a huge mistake a lot of people make is either not tracking or just eyeballing it. Maybe they track for a while and then they think they've got it and then they start eyeballing it. That just does not tend to work out well in the long run. So I strongly recommend that athletes of all kinds do at least one to two months of diligent daily macronutrient tracking. Now, caveat, if you have a history with disordered eating patterns or you really struggle with becoming neurotic, perhaps you don't do this. But if you don't fall into those categories, what you'll learn from one to two months of structured nutritional tracking is about what is in what? About how many macros are in these foods I typically eat? And how do I modify these foods, whether that's in amount or substituting them for other options, to better hit macronutrient targets aligned with my goals? And if you need help with that, go to the website, www.coachdannymatranga.com. You'll find in the free resources tab, I have a nutrition fundamentals ebook that'll walk you through every single macro, what it does, how to calculate your macros, how to hit them. It even has stuff on vitamins, minerals, and fiber. So that is something that you need to take serious. Number one, not like I said, this is number seven, not tracking your nutrition. But this again goes hand in hand with me not having a coach to teach me these things. I wish I had and I wish I'd done it earlier in my career. It's probably the biggest mistake I've made. That's why it was number one on the list. And if you need additional help with this, consider working with a coach. Yes, I do that. Shameless plug. But I'm not the only nutrition coach in the space. If you think that there's another personality out there that might be helpful or you want my recommendation, I'd gladly recommend somebody else if you don't like the way I bring things to the table. But what's really important is that you take your nutritional competency seriously. There's very few things that impact our long-term health and performance more than our nutrition. And I would argue that there's nothing that impacts our health and performance more than nutrition. So becoming more competent in that space will pay a lifetime of dividends for you. So take it seriously. Number eight, not getting enough sleep. Oh boy, this is a real, real issue for me. So here's why this one runs so deep. Early in my training career, uh, I was playing sports. And so essentially what I did was I went to school from 8 a.m. to 2 about 2.06, that was when the bell rang, and you went to PE in sixth period, and PE was just practice with your sport. And practice got done around 4, 4.30. You'd usually do some type of gym work, whether it was basketball, football in the field, and then you'd do some type of lifting. Now, with the exception of baseball, which didn't have a lot of lifting, 
afterwards, you just go home and I'd be working on homework. So the only real time I had to go to the gym was early in the morning. So I was getting up at 4 a.m. to go to the gym and lift like an idiot in high school, and I probably would have been exponentially better off just sleeping. The one thing that that did teach me was how to quote-unquote grind and how to wake up early and not listen to your alarm clock, which I think are beneficial skills in being able to push and work hard and, you know, Uh, ignore the snooze button and chase the day and get out there, right? That's all beautiful. But in the name of gains, sacrificing large amounts of sleep across your life is probably not ideal and it's certainly not optimal for long-term health. And a lot of us are trying to kind of um, navigate that fine line between pushing ourselves and still being able to recover. And not getting enough sleep is a surefire way to impair your recoverability. It's probably the easiest thing you can do to make your recovery easier, right? Getting between seven to nine hours has been shown to improve performance, reaction time, and even body composition. So whether it's sport, whether it's lifting, or whether it's bodybuilding even, getting enough sleep is huge. Do not cut corners here. You need to have a thorough nighttime routine where you say, this is about when I shut things down and I need to be ready to go to bed because I have to start my day around this time. If you have the luxury of being able to start whenever you want, perhaps you do stay up a little later and you just sleep in a little longer. But I would strongly recommend aiming for between seven to nine hours of sleep a night and putting a routine in place that's going to ensure that. What I do now is about two hours before I go to bed, I put on my blue light blocking glasses, which eliminate a lot of the blue light hitting my retina. And blue light typically comes from devices like smartphones, or for me, laptops, television, right? And I want to be sure that I'm limiting my exposure to that so that my suprachiasmatic nuclei in my brain, right, the SCN, can actually receive the photons that I want it to receive and not the ones I don't. I want it to know it's getting dark outside. And so limiting blue light is a good way to do that. Then I take a little bit of magnesium, about 200 milligrams, and I lay in bed and read a book. And I'm usually out by 10 o'clock and I can get up between 5 to 7 a.m. right now, but normally between 4 and 5 a.m. when I was traditionally training one-on-one clients. So a little bit of a different experience now that we are during COVID-19. But one thing this has taught me is that that extra sleep I was missing out on, yes, and I was cutting corners on this even as early as March, uh, I've really noticed the difference lately. So don't cut corners with your sleep. It's not worth it, especially for performance. Now, number nine, this is where things get a little bit more personal. So if I touch on things that might be problematic for you, I do apologize in advance. But number nine is comparing yourself to others. I'm really big on this, okay? Comparison in a negative light is wasted energy. Do not do this. Realign that energy with comparing yourself to who you were yesterday and how you're going to beat that person. Stop comparing yourself to other people. It will get you nowhere. I will leave it at this. I will keep it simple. Comparison is the thief of joy. Remember that. When you catch yourself scrolling and looking at, oh, she has such a nice body. Oh, she has such a big butt. Oh, she has such small waist. Oh, his delts look so big. Oh, that guy's so strong. Oh, well, they can work out all day because they don't have a real job. Stop. Stop, stop, stop. That shit will get you nowhere. That is energy that you could put into identifying your own bullshit, what's holding you back, and how you can improve it. 
It's not going to get you any closer to those people, and they shouldn't be people you're comparing yourself or trying to catch anyway. You should be looking at yourself in the mirror, seeing that person and saying, how can I be better than you from this moment forward? And the best way to do that is to stop comparing and start doing. Number 10, and this is the last one, is thinking that I had it all figured out. Early on in my training career, particularly after I got certified, I thought I knew everything that there was to know about fitness. And I had everything in this space figured out because I passed some arbitrary fitness tests that let me train clients. Now that I've been training for almost eight years, I think that these certifications need to be exponentially more rigorous. I think we have too many personal trainers and too many are unqualified, especially to deal with the day-to-day things that people are running into, their clients are running into. So Thinking I had it all figured out was a big problem. Um, and not working with a coach because I thought I figured this shit out early and I knew all the answers is something like I said in tip number one, I wish I could take back. And so what this really comes down to is maintaining a growth mindset as a coach, as a fitness enthusiast, as a lifter, as a competitor. You need to always be on the lookout for things that can make you better, for areas that you can improve, for areas that you can become that much more refined and dialed in. It's not erotic to think, hey, I'm doing well, but how can I do better? I think I've got a really good grasp on this. So what can I focus on next? Live there. Don't live in the space of, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. I know all this shit. That's not going to get you very far. So do the best you can to focus on every small detail that you're doing well ask yourself, can I refine these? And then look at areas where there's room for improvement and focus on those too. So guys, those are the 10 things I've done with my own training that have held me back more than anything. I'll run through them really quick. Number one was not hiring a coach. Huge mistake. If I was prepping for a show, a vacation, I'd hire a coach right now, even as an eight-year tenured professional with a degree in 15 certs. The accountability is huge. 15 plus certs. I don't even know how many I have. That stuff's huge. It makes a big difference. Having somebody to talk to, chat with, bounce ideas off of, and to hold you accountable is exponentially valuable if you take your fitness seriously. Number two, Focusing too much on supplements. Spend that time focusing on food nutrition. Number three, lifting too much. Dial it back, focus on recovery. Number four, not performing quality reps. Number five, not performing quality sets. Train with less focus on doing more work and more focus on doing better work. Understand that those two things can give you better gains than simply doing more work, okay? Number six, being afraid to gain scale weight or body fat in the name of staying lean in place of making performance goals, okay? Number seven, not tracking nutrition and having no idea about what it was I was eating. Number eight, not getting enough sleep. Number nine, too much comparison. And number 10, thinking you've got it all figured out. Maintaining a growth mindset and not being afraid to ask for help are two things that essentially encompass all of the mistakes that I made and how funny and ironic is it now that I essentially work as a coach Uh, I I find that quite funny that a lot of the pitfalls that I fell into early are the pitfalls I'm fixing for people now. So there's great irony in this, and I do hope you enjoy the episode. If you found it helpful, you can do me a huge favor by screenshotting it, 
tagging me and sharing it to your Instagram story. Think about it like this. If you made one of these 10 mistakes, or if you're like me and you made all 10, if somebody made a podcast that could pivot that and help you change the way you progressed across your training career, you would want to see it. So if you think this could help people just like yourself, please feel free to take a screenshot and share it. It makes all the difference in the world. And again, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't be a stranger. Write me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Writing the review makes a huge difference for people finding it. And this podcast has ranked as high as 19th on the fitness charts, which is incredibly high for such a new podcast. And I owe that a lot to the people who have already left reviews. So for those of you who have, thank you so much. And for those of you who have not, but would consider it, it would be tremendously appreciated. Thank you guys for listening and have a good one.